following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. All right, if you would, open up your Bible or electronic device that has a Bible on it. We are in Galatians chapter 3 this morning. Galatians chapter 3. We're actually going to close out the book of, uh, or not the book, the chapter of Galatians 3 this morning. Um, So we're going to be in 15. We're going to walk all the way through 29. We have a significant amount of work to do this morning. So I just want to kind of let you guys know that to kind of buckle in. All right. This morning is a very heavy in what we call uh, in doctrine, okay? So we're going to talk a lot about biblical truth today. We're going to talk a lot about um, what Paul kind of expounds on. There's a lot of text here that is debated, okay? So there's a lot of kind of scholarly men that are way smarter than I am who argue these things. And I'm just going to give you the summary and how it applies to your life. And here's ultimately what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to let God's promises shine on your problems, okay? So you're here this morning, and you have a problem. You have an issue. Something's going on. Something's transpired. If you're anything like me, it might have happened right before you got into the doors. All right? Those greeters looked at you, and they smiled, and they said, hey, how you doing? And you took everything that had just transpired in the past 15 minutes or however long it took you to get here, and you said, we're really, really good. And here's how I know that church is for the sinner, because you lied (laughs) right when you got in that door. You looked at somebody and you said, hey, we're really, really good. And in reality, you probably weren't really, really good, okay? And so God's promises is what Paul is going to unpack here for us in Galatians chapter 3. And he's going to say, hey, I want to just take all these promises of God and I want them to rain down on your problems. Now, if you're here and this is like your first week and you're like, well, what happened in the first couple of chapters? Well, let me just give you chapter 2, okay? You can go to communitygospelchurch.com. You can get updated on all of the messages there. But in chapter 2, namely, verse 15 through 21, here's kind of getting you up to speed. Paul has criticized Galatian believers. What is a believer? A believer is somebody who has confessed with their mouth that they're a sinner. They've fallen short of the glory of God, and they believe that Jesus Christ is the Redeemer. He is the Savior. His blood that was shed on the cross was a proper propitiation for the sins of those who transpired against him. Anyone, the Bible says, who confesses with their mouth and believes in their heart that Jesus Christ is Lord will be saved. Jesus' blood that was shed on the cross was sufficient for the entire world, but it is only efficient for those who would believe. So when Paul writes, he writes first and foremost to this region of Galatia, all of these churches that are there, okay? So he's writing and he's giving them this letter and they would circulate this letter all throughout the region of Galatia, which is modern day Turkey, and it extends from generation to generation to generation and it lands here in your lap. And now we have to wrestle with this truth just as the Galatians wrestle with this truth. The Galatians' big problem was, as believers, they were wrestling with this thing called uh, apostasy. Apostasy is just a big word for the contemplation of leaving or abandoning the faith. They essentially looked at it and they looked at two roads. They looked at what we talked about last week, this blessed road that Christ has kind of laid out for us. And then they looked at this cursed road that is secular or it's of the world. 
And we learned last week that Christ already took the cursed road for us. And he says, I want you to walk on a road that's going to be great. I want you to walk on a road that's going to be fruitful. All of the fruits of the Spirit are manifested on the blessed road. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. All of those things are there. And Paul says, listen, you guys as Galatians are entertaining leaving this faith. And he puts a curse on all of these people who preach against the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you know what? Here's the thing. We should do the same thing. Shame on people who are against the gospel of Jesus Christ. It has proven true for years and years and years and years, generations upon generations. And what we've seen is every word of God proves true. And shame on anybody who pushes back against it. Now, here's the other crazy thing that Paul pushes and preaches against. He says, you can't work for your salvation. It is by grace that you have been saved through faith. He tells the Ephesians that. He says, listen, you can't work for your salvation. It is only by God's grace that it was given to you. So you don't have to live this life of works. You have to live this life in adoration of what you have received. And that's his big argument against all of these people. So today, we're going to talk about this Old Testament promise. This promise was first and foremost delivered to Abraham. And if you're not a student of the Bible, this is a great week to be here because I'm going to unpack the Old Testament real quickly for you. I'm going to show you how the Old Testament connects with the New Testament. And then I'm going to show you how all of these promises from God rain down on the problems of our life. All right? So how God's Old Testament promise is fulfilled. Let's look at Galatians chapter 3, and we'll start with verse 15. It says this, to give a human example. I love that Paul says, basically in the Greek, I know you're a little slow, so let me help you out. All right, praise the Lord. Don't look at that as a dig. Look at that as, I'm glad somebody speaks slowly to me. Brothers and sisters, maybe your text says, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it. No one adds to it once it has been ratified. Verse 16. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It doesn't say, and to offsprings, that's important, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, and who is that offspring? It is Christ. This is what I mean, Paul says. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God as to make the promise void. 18, important verse, transitional verse, and all Paul is saying, for the inheritance comes by the law, no longer by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. What is he saying? Let me summarize all those verses to you because Paul, if you remember, is a Pharisee who has been transformed by the renewing of the gospel. He understands the Old Testament very, very well. And what he does is he looks at the Galatian believers and he says, the first thing you need to know is that all of the promises of God are fulfilled through Jesus Christ. Paul's saying, brothers, fellow believers, he's moved away from these Judaizers and now he's moved into the believers. The Galatian believers first and then to us today. And he outlines there's three keys of God's Old Testament promise to Abraham. Like I said, I'm going to unpack the Old Testament for you real quickly in case you're kind of confused on why we have the Old Testament and what the Old Testament's purpose is. The first thing is in verse 15. He says, the first thing that you need to know is all the promises of God are approved, stamped, signed, sealed, and delivered by God. All right? The promise is approved by God. Paul says, let me say this another way. When he says to give a human example, let me communicate this in a way that everybody knows. 
And that key is covenants. What is a covenant? Well, in the Greek culture, a covenant is essentially an agreement. And when that agreement was made, it involved two different parties. There's multiple covenants that were made, okay? You have two men, two nations, or God and his people. You know all about covenants without knowing about covenants, those of you who are married. You made a covenant when you got married, okay? You sealed your relationship with this covenant, this promise under God, all right? And both parties agreed, and when both parties agreed, it was a legal binding contract. Nobody from the outside could come and alter or annul it, Paul says in the text, or throw it away or make more requirements of it. The same is true today. So what's fascinating is when Paul unpacks this covenant thing, he's essentially saying, you know Galatians about covenants, and you know Community Gospel Church about covenants. You've made them. You have like a covenant in regards to your house, right? You said, I'm going to buy my house, and I'm going to spend this much money, and I'm going to give back to the bank. Everybody knows about it. Everybody understands it. Well, if I'm reading the Bible, what is God's promise, his covenant with Abraham? I mean, I'm a little slow. What does he mean? Well, let's just walk it through. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now, the Lord said, made a covenant with Abraham. And he said this, go forth from your country. Leave what you know. There's a new land from your relatives and from your father's house. And when he says it, he says, I want you to leave the pagan ways for a promise. To the land in which I'll show you, and I will make you a great nation. Here's the promise starting to get unpacked. God is making a covenant with man. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you shall be a blessing to other people. I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse those who curse you. And in all of the families of the earth, from that time forth, forevermore, will be blessed. Now, remember what blessed means. Blessed simply means one who is in a right relationship with God. What does curse mean? Curse is one who has rejected the relationship with God and chooses to live on their own. So what? What God is doing is he is saying to this Abraham, this father of a great people, real person, really happened, really true. I love what David Crowder says. All the stories are true. What God says here is, he says, I, in faith, will do something in your life, and in return, I will protect you. I will give you this land. Now, this is all, verse 16, centered in Jesus Christ. If you have the Old Testament, it points to Jesus who is to come. You have the cross, which is the middle, and then you have the New Testament, which points back Christ who came. Verse 16 connects to 15 via the word promise. So if you want to, you can circle that in the text. I told you I'm giving you a lot of information today. The word promise is uh, an original Greek word that should be covenant or testament. With Abraham, that covenant or testament, testament consisted of a promise that from his offspring, a promised Messiah Christ would come. So if you go back to that passage in Genesis chapter 12, what God is promising to Abraham from the beginning of time is that I will send a Messiah to you, an offspring to you, a seed to you, and his name will be Jesus, and he doesn't have to give his name. Abraham just has to believe that the Messiah is coming. The reason in the text that it is plural is because it is referenced repeatedly in the Old and New Testament. In other words, Abraham's a little slow, and God has to tell him over and over again. And that should resonate with you. All right? Those of you who have kids, that should resonate with you. 
Why do I have to tell my kids over and over again to do the right thing? God does the same thing with you, my friends. He does the same thing with me. And so when that word promises comes up, what we see here is to give a proper, appropriate sacrifice. We call that a propitiation. It has to be repeated over and over again so that the people will understand. Paul wrote another letter to a church in Ephesus. We know this letter as Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, it says, Remember what? That at one time you were separated from Christ. You fell to your sins. You fell from the standard that God had given you. You were separated, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants that God had made of a promise. What promise? The Abraham promise in the Old Testament. You had no hope without God. You had no hope in this world without Jesus. You have, get this into your mind this morning, you have no hope without the promises of God being fulfilled in your everyday life. They're all centered on Jesus Christ. The Gospel of Matthew begins by telling us and calling Jesus the son of David, showing his royal origin, the son of Abraham, which means descendant. Jesus is a fulfillment of the promises of God that was made to David and Abraham. So Christ, being a descendant of Abraham, means he's literally the seed, the promise kept by God. Everything has always been about Jesus. Everything will always be about Jesus, whether your secular co-workers want to believe it or not. Whether you want to believe it or not, all the promises of God are centered on Jesus Christ. No Jesus, no truth. No Jesus, no hope. No resurrection, no Christianity. No resurrection, no believers. Everything that you do centers, whether you like it or not, around this promise that was centered in Jesus Christ. Now, 17 and 18 continue this. And he says, the promise is made prior to the law, and it was given to you by grace. Grace, grace, God's grace. Now, I love this translation of the Bible. It's called the TEV, or Good News Translation. And essentially, it simplifies Greek, and it makes it really easy for us to understand. It says this to those English readers reading it. And by the way, English carries a whole different connotation if you live in Indiana, right, than it did for anybody else. I didn't realize that. But there's some people in our communities that call me English, and I didn't know that. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, well, I'll tell you later, okay? It says this. God made a covenant with Abraham, and he promised to keep it, and he will always do what he promised. Sometimes I need to be reminded of that, that God will always do what he promised he said he was going to do. Paul uses Exodus chapter 12 here, saying 430 years. In other words, that's the number of years people of Israel spent in exiles in Egypt. He's showing here that the law was given 400 years after God's promise to Abraham via faith. So what? Maybe you're swimming here, you're drinking out of a fire hydrant. What Paul's saying is, if God's blessing depended on following the law or working for our salvation, then it couldn't depend on God's promises as it came after that. The opposite is also true. If what God gave depended on his promises, then it cannot depend on the law. God freely gave his blessing to Abraham because he simply promised he would do it. The Old Testament laws and works cannot do away with the covenant or cancel God's promises. What does that mean for us as believers? You cannot work to gain God's promises. They're given freely to you in Jesus Christ. Stop working for your salvation and start living lives in adoration for what God has done by the gospel that was given to you. Why should we do that? 
Circumstances change. Situations change. But God and his promises are always going to remain a consistent in your life. Here's the reason why you struggle. Here's the reason why you have faults. Here's the reason why you get frustrated. Because you think God's promises changes, but in reality, you've changed. You've moved from the promises, and you've seen something secular. You look at that something secular, and you think that it will save you, or that it will put you in right standing with God. That's not true. God's promises are anchored. They're secure. God says, I don't change. You changed. So when we get frustrated with our faith... When you get frustrated with the people of God, it's not that, the people, that God has changed, it's that we've changed. And majority of the time, it is because we've moved away from the promises of God to the world, which we talked about last week. So check out that sermon if you want to. Paul figuratively says here, God's gift, circle that. To the Jews, inheritance was a reminder of the promise of God to Israel concerning the possession of land. That's all they cared about. We don't care necessarily about the possession of land. We care about the promises of God. Because the possession of land, if your eyes is fixated on that, you want something. You want stuff. Oh, but when you want the promises of God, you're saying, I don't care what this world throws at me. I'm going to walk secure because God has said how it ends. And so here in the text, inheritance came to be used figuratively, referring to spiritual favors and blessings from God. God promised here a right relationship with Abram as a gift, a right relationship with him. Uh, really interesting to kind of look at this. Uh, Jim Sabila, which is a very famous pastor, he used to be uh, really, really big. He said, remember that even when every demon in hell stands against us, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob remains faithful to all of his promises. Jesus can do anything but fail his own people who trust in him. You missed that last sentence. Jesus can only do one failure, and that is he, fail, he, he refuses to fail his own people. I said that wrong, but whatever. You got what I'm saying, okay? <clears throat> I was like, no, that's not true, Jordan. Uh, Jesus can do anything but fail his own people who trust in him. All right, I'm fallible. It's fine. All right. Now, circle the word gave in the text. The verbal form of gave in verse 18, 17 and 18, is grace. It emphasizes whatever God gives, he gives us freely based off his promises that are centered in Christ. God blessed Abraham, not because Abraham did anything to deserve it, but simply by virtue of God's promise alone. So we rest on God's promises via faith in Christ. Before we go any further, let me ask you a question. Are you resting on God's promises because of a relationship that you have with Jesus Christ? Maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe it's time for you to come to the family of God. Repent of your sins and come into the cross and say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior. That he is the Son of God. All right, keep moving. Verse 19. The Galatians ask a great question here. Verse 19. <clears throat> Why then, Apostle Paul, do we have the law? Galatians are kind of sarcastic. It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom... The promise had been made. Now notice offspring there is singular. That's Jesus. And it was put into place through angels by an intermediary. Now, verse 29. An intermediary applies more than one, but God is one. That verse is so disputed. That caused me about seven hours of study right there, and I didn't get anywhere. 21. But the law, then contrary to the promises of God, is the law contrary to the promises of God? Nope. For if the law had been given, what could give life? 
then righteousness would be indeed be the law. But the scriptures imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise of faith in Jesus Christ might mightily be given to those who believe. Keep moving. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law. We were imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer underneath of a guardian. What is he talking about, right? You read some of this stuff and you understand why the apostle said some of the things that the apostle Paul says are hard to understand. And the church says, amen. What are you talking about, Paul? You're up here, I'm down here. You got a doctorate degree, man. I'm sitting here swimming in junior high. He says that the fulfillment of God's promises came to point to Christ by the giving of the law. So if God's Old Testament promise to Abraham was fulfilled, it was fulfilled by giving the law because the law points to Jesus. The Galatians ask, let's just walk through this passage real slow. Verse 19, why does the law exist if God made this promise? The law does three things. Now, if you are reading your 365-day Bible reading plan, you're probably in the Old Testament. That is if you haven't given up. And here's the reason that we give up on our Bible reading plans. Because we get into the law and we see how fallible we really truly are and then we get frustrated. The law, first and foremost, when we read that in the Old Testament, it exposes our sinful character. If you wanted to see just how fallen you really truly are, go back into the Old Testament, start reading through the law and you'll find how much you fall short of God's 600 do this and don't do this. You'll see just how much you fall short of the glory of God. Paul says, after the promise in Abraham, we gave the law. It was added to the covenant with Abraham because the people continued to fail to fulfill what God had required of them. It was because of their transgressions. The law's function was to show people their sin and try to keep them from sin. Isn't it amazing that God tells us no sometimes? You need to be told no sometimes. But God, why can't I have everything? Because you wouldn't know what to do with everything. And so here, what Paul says is the law, first and foremost, was given to try to keep us from sinning. Second thing it did, it failed to fulfill in the way that Christ would fulfill. The law isn't Jesus. It was administered directly by God, but was put into place, verse 19, through the angels by an intermediary. So Moses acted as a representative for the people, and it's believed that the law was given via angels who were representatives of God. The law was only meant to last until Jesus came. This is why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but I have come to fulfill them. Jesus is the one who the promise was made. He's the one who lived a perfect sinless life and fulfilled all the requirements of the law. So therefore, he is a proper sacrifice. The law doesn't fulfill. It's simply a placeholder, something that points to something greater, Jesus Christ, who came to fulfill a promise. F.B. Meyer says this, the Mosaic law, the Old Testament law, was not designed to be the final code of the religious life, but it prepares us, and this is why you need to read your Old Testament. This is why you need to not throw out the Old Testament text. You read the Old Testament because it prepares your hearts. It's like a soil of the human heart to receive Jesus and all the fullness of his salvation. I look at the Old Testament, I realize how much I fall short. I look at Jesus' life, I look how much he fulfills, and I say, what am I supposed to do? And he says, you're supposed to confess, you're supposed to believe, you're supposed to receive my spirit, exchange your spirit with mine, and then you'll start seeing fruit 
instead of frustration because now you're anchored on the rock, not anchored on your own secular society. Tracking? Okay, so it exposes sinful character. It fails to fulfill. Now watch this. The law also, though, in the Old Testament, fails to give us life. A lot of doctrine here. The Galatians then would have asked, so is the law contradictory to the promises of God? No. The law's function was to show the transgressions. It's not the same function as the promise. The law wasn't given to bring life. Jesus came to give life. John Stott says it way better than I can. He says, no man has ever appreciated the gospel until the law has first revealed to him himself or herself. It's the only it's only against the icky. I love that John Stott uses icky because I'm like, oh, you, you, you I resonate with you. Um, it's only against the icky blackness of the night sky that the stars begin to appear. Can I repeat that? It's only against the icky blackness of the night sky that the stars begin to appear. And it's only against the dark background of sin and judgment that the gospel shines forth. What does that mean? The more I read my word, the more I spend time studying God's word and God's truth, I just realize how sinful I really truly am. But then where sin is so evident, grace just comes flying to the surface. And as grace comes flying to the surface, what I realize is that's where true life is found. And Paul uses that word life. You could circle that. He's not talking about moral life. He's not talking about physical existence. He's talking about eternal spiritual life that is only made possible by man being in a right relationship with God. This is why you need the Old Testament law to show you how much you fall short. And then you need the New Testament covenant to show you what Christ does and fulfills so that you can understand how fruitful you really truly can be. Isaiah says it better than I do. Isaiah says, we've all become like one who is unclean. All of us, all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. Here's the deal. Here's the deal, church. I can't love my kids properly because I have sin in my life. I need Jesus to do that. I can't love my wife the way that Jesus loves me. I I, I need Jesus to come and work in me. It is at the end of ourselves that we find the most fruit. So stop being so prideful and insecure and start grabbing onto the Holy Spirit. See, that's the problem with us. We're too prideful. We get too, we get too, uh, we're so insecure. I don't need help. Nobody's going to help me. Shame on you. Shame on me. I do it all the time. All right? I'll be the first in line. And God says, if you could just find fruit in me and lean on my spirit, everything's going to be okay. But you have to empty yourself in order to get this fruit. So in order to be put right with God, now, Underline that, 21, 22, put right with God. In one word, in the Greek, that's righteousness. Righteous is the person who is put right with God. Since sin has imprisoned us all, even the sin of trying to work to get to God, we're under a curse controlled by the flesh. The only way out is faith in Christ. Now, Paul knew, okay, that the Galatians would be so confused when this happened. He's like, I bet you guys just have clouds that are formulating over your head and you have no idea what I'm talking about. He's like, let me give you two examples, okay? Two examples. 23 is the first one. It's like a jailer who came to our house, imprisoned us, but not only imprisoned us, stood at the cell and made sure that we remained confined by guarding us until this face should be revealed. The law locks you in. The law stands in front of you and says you cannot get out. Second illustration is verse 24. The word there is enforcer, but the, the real Greek word here, don't miss this because it's going to tie into next week, is pedagogy. 
In the New Testament, pedagogy was a slave who was employed in the Greek and Roman families whose job was to supervise a minor child from the ages of 6 to 16. Some of us need some pedagogies in our life, amen? All right. <clears throat> they would come in and they would discipline within and without uh, the home. Their main duty was not to teach the kids. Track with me. Their main duty was to enforce discipline and conduct under strict supervision. Why would Paul do this? Why would he point this out? Why would he show us these two things? The jailers open the door and the enforcer is gone because faith in Jesus Christ has been revealed. Until the time Christ came, the law was like a person who was making us behave until Christ came to bring about our justification through faith. And now we abandoned trying to gain merit with God through faith and we live our lives in adoration over what we have received. So I don't work for my salvation. I worship because of my salvation. And every time, if, if you could just track with me here for a second, every time, every sin, every, everything that is going on in your life that frustrates you, if you could just change your perspective and ask God a really good question, and that is, am I working for you right now? Because I think if, if you and I were to get real with ourselves, the problems that we have in our marriages, the problems that we have with our kids, the problem that we have with our job, the problem we have with ourselves, I think that comes because we're working to gain favor with God and not living based off the grace that we have received. If we would just simply live our lives in adoration of what have been received, things start to change. So here, what we see is that we have to abandon trying to gain merit with God and now live our lives in adoration. But Paul's not done, all right? Verse 26. He says, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God. When you believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior, you're sons of God, through what? Faith. You need to circle that word faith, and you highlight that word faith, you need to put that word, tattoo that word on your arm. I didn't say that. For as many of you who were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, male nor female, you are all one in Jesus Christ. And if you're in Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, and that word heir is going to connect to next week according to the promise. What's he saying? He's saying all of this, all of your victory, everything comes through the fulfillment of Jesus Christ. Everything, everything comes from the promises of God. Paul shows that when we live these grace-filled lives, essentially we are now in Christ. Look at these three promises real quickly with me. In Christ, you are a child of God. If I act... Outside of being a child of God, I'm working for God's favor. But oh, underneath of being in Christ, I'm a child of God. Now, Paul says this is for Jews and Gentiles. You are God's sons. You are God's daughters through faith in Christ. He's carrying the metaphor from verse 25. Instead of children under a pedagogy, supervision, you are now able to enjoy the privileges and rights of mature adults. In other words, what Paul's saying is, grow up and act like an adult and not a kid. So as he continues to unpack this, he uses that word baptism, which means to be baptized into union with Christ. It is the internal state baptism symbolizes. It's the experience of salvation, which is even more reason to get baptized because you're publicly professing that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that you're a son, you're a child of God. You can't do that as an infant. 
Because of salvation, believers have put on Christ, become like Christ. And here's the hard question. I've been wrestling with this all week. You wrestle with it now as well. Am I, oh man, this is tough. Am I taking on the character and characteristics of Jesus Christ or am I constantly becoming more like the world? Oh, that's, ooh, that's tough. If I'm a child of God, I should start becoming like a child. Now, I get this, okay? I can understand this 100% because I'm adopted. Like, I totally get it. I know how my biological father was, and I know how my stepdad was. And when my stepdad raised me, he raised me in a way that was of the Lord. And I wanted to take on his characteristics, even those horrible dad jokes. They're the worst. But what I realized was, is, man, I want to be like him because he's like Jesus. And that's how our lives have to be. I want to be like my heavenly father. Well, Pastor Jordan, you don't understand. My earthly father, he was horrible. I get it. I get it. I was there. I totally understand. I can resonate with you 100%. But man, when it says in Christ, when Paul says, he says, you're a child of God, that changes the way that we perceive ourselves and perceive our environments. No, he doesn't, he doesn't stop. I love that Paul just kind of pushes the knife in and then he turns it a little bit. And he says, because you're in Christ, you're united in one family of God. Ouch. So my relationship with God is not just vertical, it's horizontal. It's with all of you. So that means not only do I have to listen to God, but I have to listen to you people. Because sometimes you are, when you're acting and communicating through scripture, the voice of God, which is the voice of truth in my life. Uh, I don't like that either. This is a big dig on circumcision in regards to the Judaizers. In light of what Paul has said about faith and baptism, circumcision now clearly has no, any validity to it. Union with Christ is the only distinction of any person becoming children of God. So Paul essentially gets so carried away with this message of faith that he applies it to everybody else in society. Slaves, free men, men, women, doesn't matter. Red, yellow, black, and white, they're all precious in his sight. Talk, talking about individualism and start talking about the church. Okay? So you wonder if, if like the Bible starts speaking on like race and equality and all that other stuff. Well, Galatians uh, chapter 3, verse 26 through 29 says, if we're underneath Jesus Christ, we're all one. We're the family of God. Okay? So let's start talking about being that family and what accountability looks like. This is no fun, all right? So he says, you're in the family of God. To put it another way, Paul's saying, as far as being joined to Jesus, there's no difference between how this takes place for the Jews, Gentiles, slaves, free men, men, women. We're all in this together, becoming closely tied to Jesus Christ. And, and check this out. He says, you're Abraham's seed. The condition for becoming a descendant of Abraham is that if you are Christ through faith and trust in Jesus, you are heirs according to that Old Testament promise. Now I'm gonna put a pin in that word heirs for a second because we're gonna pick that up next week. But I love what Bruce Barton says. And I'm gonna close with this because this is how God's promises shine on all your problems. This is exactly how you can live your life in fullness of the gospel that you have received. Believers often fail to live up to their identity that they have been given in Christ because they live passive, defeated lives, appearing almost every respect to still be living with the curse of the law hanging over their heads. You and I do not live 
in light of the gospel that we have received. We don't do it. I don't know why we don't do it. I don't know what makes us want to cling. It's, it's probably why people love horror movies. Right? They just love the dead. It's, it's we hang our heads. We, we're passive. We're not standing up for biblical truth. We need to start standing up for biblical truth. Okay? Uh, I, <laughs> no, I'm not going to go there. Um, I just had a conversation with Jesus in my mind. He said, don't, don't say it. Uh, that proverb popped in, you know, like, wise is the person who keeps his mouth shut. And I'm like, but I'm talking. Anyway, <laughs> you're living with the curse of the law hanging over your heads. It's time we remove that curse, okay, and we put that in a box and we shut that drawer and then we light the thing on fire. Because this is the culmination of everything Paul is saying. We may be heirs in Christ, but we appear to have missed the reading of the will. Whoa. Now, I understand this, like I said, because I'm adopted. And my earthly father didn't give me a dime when he died. Not one. Oh, but the riches in Jesus Christ far surpass that which hasn't been given to us by mere humanity. Because this has been given to us by the divine. And so God's word inspires us to what? to confidence, to believe that it is possible to love our spouse and our kids and our world the way that Jesus does, but we can't do that without the gospel. We're not sure in our own abilities, but in God's abilities, we have the capacity to mature us into Christ. Your plea today should be that you would mature in the promises of God, that they would be illuminated in your life, and that you would live according to the gospel that you have received. Because the promises of Abraham are seated in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that gospel has to permeate in all areas of your life. You have to respond first and foremost to faith in Christ. Because you're following the ancient way of Abraham. One that justifies you. You have to trust in God that he can redeem you of your sin. But here's the kicker to the whole thing. You have to continue to trust in God until the day of redemption. And there's where we fall flat. There's where I fall flat. Because I'm constantly in a battle between trusting my own promises and trusting God's promises. And it goes right back to where we were at last week. We're looking at the cursed road and we're thinking to ourselves, maybe that's a better road. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Christ has already walked that road. You have to understand how blessed it is to walk into a relationship with Jesus. Do you live in light of these promises? These truths. Do you live in light of the fact that everything God says will come true? That you can be more than conquerors in Jesus Christ. That you can see yourself underneath the dark sky because God has given you his light. That it all comes through faith in Christ. Hmm. I don't know. Like, and, and I'm going to just kind of let that hang for a second because next week ties into this week. So I want to keep going, but I can't. And if I keep going, Bethany gets really mad at me because she's like, we have to get out at some point. <laughs> so let me pray for you. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this morning. And we thank you for the fact that your word is truth. God, we thank you for the book of Galatians and all of these truths that are here in the text. And God, we just want to pray through that text right now. We thank you first and foremost that you've given us your word. That you have made a covenant with us. And that that promise is on the table today. If you're here, or if you're listening online to the crackles of this microphone, and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, make today the day of redemption. Say, God, I know I'm a sinner. 
but I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. I declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. Be the Lord of my life. I trust you, Jesus. I trust in you alone. I place my faith and my trust in you today. God, I remember when I prayed that prayer so long ago. And I remember that I prayed it this morning. And I continue to pray that like the, the man in the, in, the, in the Gospels, that I believe you, but I doubt. And so God, forgive my unbelief. Forgive the fact that I don't trust in your promises. God, I thank you for the text that was given to us, the promise to Abraham, the law that reveals our sin, the truth of Jesus Christ, the promises that are in the, the new covenant. And now our prayer is that we would live in light of these things. I don't know where you were at this past week, but I think you fell short. And I know that because I fell short. And so now, let's plead to the Lord together. Not just me, but all of us as a congregation. Let's plead to the Lord to, to, together. God, we're, we're pleading to you that the God of grace would do just that. Give us grace. And would you permeate that grace in all areas of our life? In all the areas that we fall short, God, help us to be humbled by that so that we would turn away from ourselves and trust in you, Jesus. We trust in you, Jesus, and you alone. This week, we pray together that you would make us more than conquerors in Jesus Christ. This week, we pray that you would help us to love our spouse correctly because of the gospel that we have received. This week, we pray that we would love our kids the way that we're supposed to love our kids, like Jesus, because of the gospel that we have received. Remove the things of this world from our fleshly fingers, pry them away from us. And God, we ask through the power of, of resurrected King Jesus, who gives us the same power, that the Holy Spirit would be able to convict us of our sin, transform us of that sin, and that we would have the opportunity to become passionately unapologetic of the gospel and that we would see you be manifested right in front of our very eyes. The sins that we struggle with, God, the, the worldly sins that, that trip us up and entangle us right now through the power of Jesus Christ, our risen Savior, I pray that all those would be released from us and that you would formulate angels in these people's houses, in my house, in this church, in our community, and you would set up a guard and you would fight battles for us that we don't need to fight. And God, I pray that you would make us more than conquerors in Jesus Christ because of the grace that we have received. And God, my prayer for the last two weeks is the same as it is today. And that is that you would help me and these people, those listening online, those who listen later, help me stop working for my salvation. God, help me to, to live in light of the gospel that I've received. May all that this world sees is Jesus. May they see what I've been redeemed from, redeemed out of. Continue to transform us so that people would see that in our lives. But God, it's not enough that they just see it. We need to unapologetically proclaim the truth of the gospel. Call sin what it is. Tell people what's happening in their lives. Warn them of what's gonna transpire if they fail to repent of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And let us do it in love. Let us do it in grace. Let us do it like Jesus did when he walked this earth. 
Let's live in the light of the gospel that we have received. Let's live in the image of God, knowing full well, church, that he's coming back again soon. God, keep eternity at the forefront of our minds and all that we think, say, and do. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for your word. All God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.